Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Runstead, Senior Editor. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Toddcast. Uh, we have a, a very special guest, an old friend of mine, Anthony Almada. Anthony has been in this industry since perhaps even before I was even thought of. Uh, he was working in the stores as a, as a young teenage punk. He was just out there in the world. He's, he, when I think innovation, I think Anthony Almada. When I think sports nutrition, I think Anthony Almada. When I think surfing, I think Anthony Olmont. That's right. Anthony, how are you today? I'm feeling tubed by that intro. Very tubed. Thank you, Todd. <laughs> Great. Yeah. You, are, you, are you staying well? Are you staying fit? Are you keeping keeping the Rona oh, yes. at bay? This, this or past you weekend on Super Bowl Sunday, went down with some buddies to Ensenada and surfed an island off the coast there. And instead of watching football, missed the, uh, the broad man. The pink broad man, but did hear it live as a, as a radio cast, which is very entertaining. But yes, very healthy, very fit. Right. That, that is great. So, you know, I, I want to talk a little today with you about sports nutrition, but I also want to talk about the nexus of sports and immune function. I, I, I think there's a little bit happening with there. You know, I mean, COVID, that sort of brings up immune function with, with everything. Um, but, you know, when I think sports nutrition, when I go all the way back to when we first met in the late 90s, you were, well, well first of all, let me just say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, founder, uh, leader of Imagine Nutrition. Uh, Anthony is a man with words right there. Um, hmm. Imagine Nutrition. And so, but, but formerly, uh, or, you know, uh, in a quasi different life, uh, you were with EAS. Now, that was back in the days when my Denver Broncos were winning Super Bowls. Um, you know, what, what was those <laughs> product purported to do? You know, like I, I would see Bill Romanowski and Shannon Sharp wearing the headbands with EAS. What, what were they getting out of it? Well, I, I think at that time, Todd, we, I actually had the pleasure of, of being part of the team that went into the locker room and worked with the strength coach a couple of years before they won their first Super Bowl. And our focus and the, the experience that the athletes had was they got stronger and bigger and faster. And that was really reinforcing to them because that was just be, uh, before drug testing became big, but it was still a, a concern and it was legal. And that was all creatine monohydrate based. Right. And, and then what was, uh, what was Mark McGuire on? The Andro, Andro, Andro Yeah, yeah, yeah. And other uh, things likely. Yeah, right. Hello, asterisk, Barry Bonds. I don't think so. Um, uh, but Todd, I, would, I would add one thing, though. What we did after Ed and I, Ed, Ed Bird and I were co-founders of EAS, but after that, we started a medical foods company for HIV patients. So we took our technology that we had developed at EAS, which was creatine-centric. We took it into a very intense COVID-type, almost global concern, not pandemic, infection that was taking lives in significant quantities there was there were no drugs that were working the almost all of, all of them were men and they were unable to work and we took our technology we did clinical trials in aids patients and hiv positive men and looked at wasting and immune function 
and we had some data we presented at the AIDS International AIDS Conference in 96, suggesting that there was something going on in relation to immune function, which is different than an immune endpoint, and we can get to that in a minute, and body mass. So, but we were ahead of our time, I'll say, and that most of the guys that were that would be candidates couldn't afford it because they weren't working. So we had to um, bury the, the company and take a big tax write-off. But it was an interesting exploration about another side of creatine that really has not been looked at. Right, that's really interesting. So, I mean, has, has anything changed in, in 20 years or so? In, and I'm, I'm thinking in terms of when you look at, at, perform, at sports nutrition, at the sports nutrition category, are, are, are there, are, are there, you know, it, it seems like there's developing science that showing immune uh, health should be a part of that, but is that, is that, is that catching on yet? Is that still bleeding edge? Is that a little ahead of its time still or what? I think it's, it's a, a tertiary or even under the, the third ranking interest because it doesn't translate in the minds of athletes into faster, stronger, leaner. And in their mind, it doesn't translate into winning or winning more. I think the, and I mentioned just a minute ago, I think it's really important to delineate between immune function and the end result. So if you look at the image behind you, the promise of immune boosting products, which probably is the wrong phraseology, is that you will not get an infection or you won't, it won't be as severe or it won't last as long. But, but when we take it into context as to what the studies show, almost all of it relates to changes in the blood and not to reduce incidence, severity, or duration of an infection. And almost all the studies focus on blood markers and they assume that if this goes up and that goes down, you're reducing risk. But some really inter interesting studies where they looked at both showed no, they're not connected. And so I'd say, who cares? If your blood markers change, I'll show me the data where the incidence, severity, or duration of an infection in the upper or lower respiratory tract is reduced significantly. And there aren't many things that do that. Right. Um, Anthony, this is what I always uh, appreciate about you is you, you've always been, uh, it, it was when I was working at Nutrition Science News, a, a former title, and, and, and you were writing for us. And you would always really be able to cut through the science and cut through the hype and get to the real, the the, the real truth of the matter. Um, and and so on that point right there, you know, like I, I sort of look at it now. We're in an age of you know maybe uh, the the rise of electric vehicles and people are like oh my god that's it's horrible and you know and people don't want that. And I, I submit that people don't care what they're putting in their car; they just want it to go right. And so with this sort of immunity you know thing, it's like. Oh look, you know we have biomarkers, you know, showing you know, eff, eff, you know, something changed, and it's like, uh, yeah, okay, did you get less sick? Did you perform better? You know, I mean, that's uh, uh, that's where the beat meets the street, I think, right? Um, so let, let let's talk. I mean, th there seems to be a tipping point when we talk about exercise and immune function. Like decent exercise leads to improved immune outcomes. And maybe that's because you're just, you know, the, 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 the heart's bump, pumping more, pumping more blood and there's white blood cells in the blood. And so, you know, you're getting some an effect, but too much exercise and it can have a real deleterious effect on immunity. So what's that about? Is like post-exercise immune suppression real? 
very much so, but it's transient. And if you look at, there's a researcher who probably is the, is the, the high priest of performance, nutrition, and immunity. It's Dave Neiman. He's at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. Dave's done a lot of work on vitamin C, carbohydrates, quercetin, a number of different interventions. And Dave, oh, about 20 years ago, said that the window of time for, for the opportunity for an infection to happen is three to 72 hours after training or after an, ex, uh, an exercise bout competition. And so that's when you'll see things in the blood, cytokines, inflammation markers, they'll change dramatically. You'll see immune cell function and things that they make change dramatically or significantly. And then it wanes and, and, re, and renormalizes or rebalances, it resets. But the question is, what does that translate to that you're going to get sick? No, it means that there's perhaps a window of risk, just like having at mildly elevated high cholesterol or LDL cholesterol. There's a risk. It doesn't mean you're going to die of a heart attack or have a heart attack. Right, right, right. And and it seems like when, when you're what what I see out there a lot is upper respiratory tract infections, and that and that could that can have an effect depending on your sport. Um, you know, and, and then when you say there's that window of three to 72 hours, it's like, well, you know, what if, what if you're out there running, you know, 5k every day, does that kind of exactly like, where, where, where do you hit that level, you know, but between like, you know, I'm in good shape and my, my entire system is functioning well, including my immunity to where I, I overdid it. And now I'm at heightened risk of catching something or succumbing to something, you know? Over Overdoing it or increasing, let's say, let's say you've been doing this much work, however you quantify that, whatever that was, and then you do three days or a week of this much work on the same number uh, per day, that increased the risk significantly. And that is when the window becomes even more open and the more bugs can come in and take hold and create an actual symptomatic infection. And so with... With that awareness, we have to be mindful of, and to put this in context, how many people do you know in the Boulder area that train, cycle, swim, run every day? And how often do they get sick? It's very rare they get sick. The majority of the days that they, in, in their calendar, they're not, uh, they're not unwell, they are healthy, and they can continue to train. And so there is something to suggest that frequent, regular, vigorous exercise can be um, is can be uh, improve resistance to infection, but I, I, in all the athletes that I work with, in in the decades I've been looking at and work with athletes, it's very rare that they say, you know, I got sick last week. Maybe once a year, but they're training frequently throughout the entire year. It's a rare occurrence. Hmm. So, so. What are you saying that my, my entire thought process that maybe in the sports nutrition aisle, we ought to, um, you know, integrate some uh, immune uh, promoting uh, ingredients, you know, maybe some, you know, probiotics or vitamin C or D or something in with the, the protein. Oh, Not really? I think so. I, I think they're there because we're, they're also humans that live just like you and I do that when they don't train and they may not wear an N95 mask whenever they go out all the time, they may not wear it over their nose if they're not wearing an N95 mask. They may be congregating with other people. They may be around their partner is asymptomatic, 
but they're carrying a bug, whatever that bug is, RSV, a flu virus, you name it. And so people get sick, I'd say in ways where it can be very debilitating for their training, for their missed days at work, for quality of life. And so anything to protect or reduce the risk of, of an active infection that can reduce one's quality of life and their mental, physical, and cognitive slash emotional performance is worthy of pursuit. Question is, which ones do you pick? Well, exactly. You know, and I've been looking at immunity supplements. I mean, they've obviously been booming over the last year. Mm -hmm. And now it kind of seems to me that sort of immunity supplements are kind of the new multivitamin, you know? And, and so I'm wondering, can they, like you see a lot of products that are like, oh, you know, the, the immunity star, it was almost like, a, like in 2018, everyone was slapping CBD on their supplements. Now everyone's slapping vitamin D and saying immunity on their, on their supplements. Do you, do you think there's, there's an opportunity for immunity ingredients to find a home in the sports nutrition aisle? I, I, and, and, and even if that means capitalizing on COVID, on COVID. Well, I, I think some brands have, but it's been very mild. It's just like we have for those days you train hard, keep your sleep, yourself protected. But I, I think the, the more important question is, uh, do we want to limit it to just those people that are athletes? And, and I think the response in the industry, as we know, I mean, everyone is, is, right. is backed up and backordered. Manufacturing, the ingredient suppliers, the demand is so high, they can't have as many people working. So we, we, the, the throughput is reduced. So the demand has been very intensive. And I think a really interesting window to look into another open window are, is to look at clinicaltrials.gov. The, the U.S. Okay. is listing of clinical trials that are ongoing and recruiting. And to punch in COVID-19 and you punch in probiotic or you punch in molecular hydrogen, you punch in zinc, quercetin, and the number of studies that are being done, it's amazing. The question is how many of them will have a result that's meaningful beyond just a change in a blood marker? Because here they're measuring death, days hospitalized, days on a respirator. These are really interesting studies that would be, will be very telling in terms of the relevance and utility of these hallowed ingredients that have never been shown to reduce sick days. We don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say vitamin D is the top of that list of, Absolutely. of nutrients that seem to be showing uh, a certain efficacy with, with COVID. But, you know, like I've been hearing a lot about quercetin lately uh, that seems to be enjoying a renaissance, but to your point, it's like, but, but is it though, you know, and, but the, the tricky thing is even if vitamin D cured COVID, you can't say it, <laughs> right? Oh, but, but you can't say it off the label though. We could say it. Yeah, right. Yeah, an article. I'm not selling it. That did not have an, an economic interest, so it, it the message will get out. It gets out. Yeah, yeah. That's First Amendment. <laughs> yeah. Very apropos today. Well, you know, and so you were the first to turn me on to uh, this ingredient, beta alanine. And, you know, this was a number of years ago, and it, it increases exercise capacity, decreases uh, muscle fatigue, but it's also an antioxidant and can enhance immunity. So I'm wondering, like, are those sort of secondary benefits of it 
as it relates to immunity, because I'm trying to push this point forward that maybe there's a crossover <laughs> between immunity and sports. Is that message getting out there about beta alanine and immunity or, or is any message getting out there? Are any brands out there that, that you see that are, that are kind of trying to make this connection? Like I said, even if you're just brazenly capitalizing on COVID, you know, which you can't exactly say, but you know, are, are they trying to make this, this connection here? Well, I, I actually did a little search beforehand to see who was doing it. And there are a few brands that are, but yeah. the evidence behind it for that are, that's, that's infection relevant doesn't exist. And it can have an effect on things in the blood. There are some animal studies related to wound healing, but in terms of it being something that you would take as your first line intervention to prevent getting sick or reduce the duration of sickness, the evidence isn't there. And I have to state that it's amazing how many companies still use beta alanine in a pre-workout as if it would work with one dose. It never has been shown to work with one dose. It takes weeks for it to accumulate muscle and be converted into carnosine the muscle as to how it works. We still don't know if it's acid buffering. That's a, that's a belief. It's never been proven. So it's, it's this interesting ingredient that has real world results related to performance. It does it work for as a, an immune Anti-infective, antiviral even, we don't know yet. Jury's still out. Yeah, and that's interesting because when you, a lot of people, I think when they're looking at um, at pre-workout, you know, it's like, okay, you know, let's take this right before I go to work out. And, and maybe they go to work out a couple of days a week. And is that actually going to get it done? You know, like, like isn't, like creatine is similar, right? Like you have to like take that for, you know, regularly and for a while before it kind of starts to kick in, right? Isn't that? We, we did a study led by the late great Conrad Ernest, published it in 2000, showing that a single dose of creatine on 185 grams does nothing for workout performance. That's another myth that is, is, is betrayed or, or supported by the pre-workout products that have creatine in them. Right. But if you take it as perhaps as directed chronically, regularly then you might see some gains is that the story over time but then yeah. it'll be a long post-workout product not something that would benefit your workout just before you consume it but yes hmm. yeah so it, it, so so interesting you know it's when this is part of the game though i think with with nutrition science is um it's, you know, so much of it is hope in a bottle and, and it's because it's so impractical to conduct like a 40 or 50 year human clinical trial to see if, <laughs> you know, and so we're left with biomarkers, um, surrogates, surrogates. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what, what we have a lot to go on now. I, I suppose if you're an elite athlete, maybe some of these things could shave you know, a hundredth of a tenth of a second off, and that could be the difference between silver and bronze. Um, you know, but but for your active, you know, gym person, I, you know, I guess that they're they're trying to do everything. You know, uh, you know, even even Tom Brady and his TB12 line, it, it it's pretty, you know, on the straight and narrow. Like he's not using any fancy ingredients, really. From what I see, it's you know, it's it's whey protein you know, and, you know, organic foods, and he drinks a lot of water and gets a lot of sleep, you know. He, ha yeah. he has 
high risk to go into the risk zone of using sketchy ingredients that don't have an NDI, that aren't, that aren't grassed or labeling incorrectly. So he's had counsel to say, keep it here. Don't right. go outside of that. Yeah, which, which is smart because all, all you need is one asterisk and it's all over. Look at Lance Armstrong. He won seven as well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people aren't saying he's the GOAT, you know, at least not in uh, the acronym sense of the word. <laughs> so I, how do you, uh, what, what, what do you think of the, the the state of the sports nutrition market today? Like, you know, to me, there, there's always been innovation going on. And, and obviously, you know, COVID has put a hit on that. And I, I think the innovation pipeline on a lot of companies is kind of being pulled back and they're just trying to get their supply lines in order. But, you know, bigger picture, you know, like today versus five years ago versus 10, 20 years ago, do you still see it it, it moving along is, is, or, or is people just kind of playing around the margins um, of, of marketing and trying to get share that way, but there's nothing that new under the sun lately or what? Well, I think inventiveness and inventions are very common. Innovations are very rare where something, a new ingredient comes in and has a seismic effect upon many brands, beta alanine, creatine monohydrate, plant proteins is somewhere in between there. But when you go outside of that, different stimulants and still caffeine comparator, it's rare to have something that truly is distinctively different and raises the game. Right. Yeah. Caffeine, you know, like, like it, it, that's an interesting story. Uh, like it is actually one of those few compounds that actually does work. You know, I mean, there's a, and it's legal and, and it's legal. Exactly. You know, I mean, Baseball players are, you know, drink or they used to drink coffee all the time. And then they, I guess they went to steroids and now, I don't know, are they back? Or, or maybe in the millennial age of ball players, maybe they're just drinking kombucha or, or um, yerba mate. Energy drinks. Energy drinks. Yeah. They're, they're drinking Red Bulls in the, in the, in the. Free workout parties. I don't even know. So um, what, what, what's your outlook for the, uh, for, for the future of, of sports nutrition, Did, are, you know, people are still like the, the state of nutrition science in universities is still continuing apace. Um, is, is there, do you, are you taking the over or the under on, on, uh, on, on, on innovation, success on real world um, benefits, even, even if not in something new, but it just, you know, like compared to like 10 years ago, protein wasn't as popular on a broad scale throughout the culture. Um, you know, and now it certainly is. And then as you pointed out, you know, now it's differentiated, you know, I, I submit protein, you know, found its way into the culture because of the sports performance, you know, the, the gym rat and that whole community with the big tubs of whey protein, and then started differentiating <laughs> into, into plant proteins and, and, you know, oh, let's go after the yoga moms. Let's pink it and shrink it. As Vegan friendly. Yes. Yeah, like all that stuff. So, so it's still an opportunity for for protein to uh, you know expand out into the culture for all kinds of of performance. You know, um, I, I I I I take a I take a very expansive view of performance, and I'll include in that you know like cognitive stuff or even eyeball stuff if you're a gamer. Um, you know, th there's lots of different ways to increase your performance so that you're not falling asleep at your computer at three in the afternoon. Um, what do, you, what, what, what do you think about the current and future state of, of human performance, let's say? 
Well, I, I think when you, you touch upon a very interesting category that continues to ascend, and that's the gamer, or it's cognitive function, and, and the calories that they're burning are very much inside their brain. They're moving minimally, just they're doing this, or if they're driving, it's minimal. And then there's, a, there's an actual Formula One E-series where people drive simulated cars in a race. And these, these people have significant they have contracts, they have sponsorship, and there's a lot on the line. And so there's a whole thrust for developing products, even in studies with this. I think in, in the realm of, of where there's muscular involvement, intensive muscular involvement, I think what, what is where I'm bullish and putting my bet on are things that change uh, the composition of the gut, the microbiota, people call it the microbiome. And with right. live bugs, dead bugs, which wrote, wrote about in one of your magazines 15 years ago, uh, and prebiotics and the definitions that are coming out, symbiotics, what isn't a probiotic, all these are, are taking shape and how they can be fused with the macros, the proteins typically, uh, what you choose to eat and how you can change how your body responds to food by changing the composition of your gut, by changing what you eat. So glycemic index, we've talked about that before. You can change your body's response to a carbohydrate food by changing your gut microbiota and by changing your diet. And you'll have a different response a month later. Same exact food. So that these are all dynamic, they're not static. So you can modulate a lot. You take that into all the sport, cognitive function, getting sugar to the brain without getting spiked with uh, excess in the, the hormone responses there. All these are really interesting areas to pursue that may be controlled to a large extent or influenced by the gut. I, I am, my imagination is running wild. I feel like I am just talking with the king of imagine nutrition. And yes, indeed I am. I mean, if I was a product formulator listening to this call, man, my synapses would be popping right now. How about pro squared protein and probiotics? Come on, get out of there. you know, just align the right strain. I want the Russian trademark that. I want that domain. <laughs> yeah. Charlie, cut this out. We don't want that. You know, anyway, Anthony, it's always a pleasure good catching up with you. I'm glad to hear that you're still out there on the water. And, um, and uh, one, one day soon, uh, I hope to meet you out on the coast and uh, out to your ranch. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice too. you know, that's it for another issue of the Toddcast with Anthony Almada, the, uh, the, the leader, the founder, the brainchild, imagine nutrition. And um, yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you, Anthony. Nice Thanks, talk. everyone. Thank you, Todd. Thank you for listening to a healthy insider podcast. We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.